Life is too short for shit books. That's the mantra of this podcast. And I'm your host, Heather Sutty. Today's guest is acclaimed actor, music lover, and St. Johnson fan, Colin McCready. He's also an avid reader. We talk about reading as a child, the joy of gorgeous novels, landing dream film roles, and more. Colin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. So excited to have you on because I know that you're a big reader and an even bigger music fan. Yes, that's true. (laughs) I realised in the past couple of years that I needed glasses, so that's been uh, slightly recently I was struggling to read and now I've I've finally come out and I've got reading glasses. So (laughs) so my readings have become better in the past month. Yay! So tell me this, are you a fan of audiobooks or is it... Kindle or has it got to be an old-fashioned book? No, it's got to be an old-fashioned book. I, I don't mind a podcast. I don't mind uh, listening to a radio show, but I've never really got into audiobooks. I like a, a, an old-fashioned book. And as I say, the past couple of years, I've been really struggling with my eyesight. <laughs> and the last time I got my eyes tested, they said it was fine. And honestly, I've been, lo- I've been reading books and the text has been so small that I've really, really struggled. And it sort of put me off reading. So now that I've got my new glasses... <laughs> Um, it's so easy now. <laughs> Happy days. Now, you're an actor by trait. Yes. Do you spend a lot of time reading books when you're on set or when you're rehearsing or during your downtime? Like, what's your preferred time for reading? No, if you're doing like TV or something, you could read a book. But I've discovered that when I do a play now, I can't read a book because, and I would, uh, some actors do, you sit in the wings reading their book. I find that when you're doing a play and you've learned all these words, that you have these words in your head. And I tend to look, if I'm doing a play, I would look at my, my lines most days just to go before, you know, just look over it before going on. Mm-hmm. And I find that I can't concentrate or I don't want any more words in my head when I'm doing a play, I'm performing a play or trying to like learn words. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing a play, I tend to not read. Occasionally, if I have a not, you know, I might in the morning, but... I find when I'm 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 doing a, a theatre show, I, I stop reading because I feel as if I've got enough. I, I don't want any more yeah. words in my head. And you don't want to be reciting what you've just yeah, read. I don't know why it is. It's just <laughs> something. There's a kind of block in my head that I'm yeah. just like, no, no, I've got an, I'm dealing with enough words at the moment. Yeah. And one of the productions that you worked on recently was a book that you read, and that was the beautiful BAFTA award-winning adaptation of Andrew O'Hagan's Mayflies. Yes, so I've obviously been an actor 30 years now, and in that time there's been, you know, I've read books and been up for things, you know, Trainspot and The Crow Road, Complicity, Sunset Song, all these books that I've loved over the years that I would have given, you know, my left arm to have been in. And as I say, I've been up for a few things and got close to getting in things, but I've never quite managed to get in an adaptation of a book that I loved. So I obviously read Mayflies the year before it was adapted and I knew Andrea Gibb who was adapting it. So I was kind of dropping heads to Andrea. <laughs> I knew Claire that was the producer. And then luckily my friend Peter Mackey Burns got the gig to direct it. And I was just like that to Peter, like, I will do anything. I will do, you know. So, you know, there's so many great parts for men of a certain age which is you know is not the most fashionable thing at the moment being a, a an actor of you know who's white and late 40s mm-hmm. so it was really good to be involved in a book that I loved I loved so much and it meant so much to me you know growing up in the 80s being into music and then reaching your kind of early 50s or late 40s and 
people starting to drop away. Yeah, I could just relate to it. And yeah, I would have done anything to be in it. And luckily I managed to scrape into it. Yay. And all my friends were in it as well. So it was even better. I got to work with, you know, it was all, most of the cast were friends of mine. So it was such a, such a great job. And it was, it was great to meet Andrew. I was a fan of his, you know, reading Personality and The Missing. So it was such a, such a nice job to be part of. And everyone, Seem to love it. Oh, I know. I mean, it was amazing. And obviously it won the BAFTA. And one of the, the lovely themes throughout the book is music. And you are a huge music fan, aren't you? Yes. Why is music such a big part of your life? Has it always been the case? I think when, you, when you're a teenager, it's this release. I grew up in Perth and small town, no excitement, no bands ever came to play. And I always felt, I then got, for some reason, decided to choose that I would follow Scottish bands because I felt... At that point in the kind of mid to late 80s, the Scottish music scene was really kicking off and bands were charting and being cool and popular. And I just thought, that's what I'll do. And it, it was an easy thing to to get close to. My frustration at that point was that I was 14, 15, 16, 17, and most of the bands I wanted to see were playing in student unions and <laughs> bars. And, and I would have to <laughs> gate crash and trying to get in and get turned Fake up, ID. Fake away. And, and I remember going to see... It, it was it was the week just when Texas had released their first single. I went to see them in the venue in Edinburgh on the Friday night and it was absolutely brilliant. And then on the Sunday they were playing Dundee, but we couldn't get into the Dundee gig because it was at Fat Sam's. <laughs> but we were at a gig at the at Dundee Rep to see Martin Stevenson. And he said, oh, I'm going to see that bad Texas. So we were like, right, right, come on. So we phoned my friend's brother and said, look, could you pick us up at one in the morning? Because there was nobody getting home. And he went, okay. So we queued up outside Fat Sam's and there was a huge queue and we got to the front and the guy's like, how old are you? And we were like 18. He's like, <laughs> so he took us to the side and we were like, oh, oh mate, oh, mate, we've come all the way through from Perth and we went to see them on Friday night. Oh, please. And he's like, you're not getting in. You're not getting... And he made us wait. for, And then eventually he went, in you go. Oh. And he let us in. So that was half the battle was trying to get into gigs that yeah. were because we were underage. So, and I speak to all these people in bands who, and I know a lot of them, and I'm just so jealous that I missed out on all these great nights because I was too young. Oh, but you're, you go to gigs all the time now. I mean, I follow you on Twitter or X as it's now called, and you're always at gigs. Yeah, I, I still, I tend to find that I still go and see a lot of the bands that I went to see in the 80s, which is in the 90s, which I still really enjoy, but sometimes you do, oh, I need to get into someone new, so... Uh, I'm off to see Hamish Hawk in a couple of weeks. He's, uh, uh, you know, quite a young, <laughs> up and coming. <laughs> and he's playing, he's sold out the Barrowlands, which is his biggest gig. And he's a brilliant Edinburgh singer, songwriter, and the band's called Hamish Hawk. So, so I try to keep with the youth a little bit. <laughs> now, you have two young daughters. Is reading a big part of them growing up? Yeah, it certainly was was something that you know my wife's a teacher as well so reading them books was something that we we did every night and they would you know four or five books and we would take it in turns and what is really lovely and you know I, when I grew up we would get stories my dad my dad would actually make up stories but you know I remember him reading to us as well and you know both my girls do now still Maisie's 18 and Betsy's 15 you do go into their rooms and they are actually reading a book mm-hmm not all the time, but <laughs> yeah. more than they would probably, more than I would have done if I'd have had a phone or an iPad yeah. or unlimited music. Yeah. You know, if I'd have had Spotify when I was 15, I don't think I would have been reading You wouldn't have been, no. no. And 
they've both followed you into acting in some ways, haven't they? Well, uh, Maisie's gone more. She's now at art school. She's She had done uh, acting when she was younger and did a lot of drama, but she sort of wasn't really for her. So she's at arts, first year at arts, art school in Dundee, Duncan and Johnson. But Betsy, the younger one, yeah, she's definitely, we've tried to put her off, but she keeps <laughs> on, keeps on going. So she's she wants to follow my footsteps annoyingly. <laughs> so when you were young, are you part of a big family? Like, did you grow up? Yeah, in a big I was. Family? Yeah, I was one of five. So I was the young. I was the runt at the end. I was uh, five years after everyone else. So yeah, quite a big family. And did you follow in any of your siblings' footsteps into creative arts? Yeah. So my dad was a customs officer, and my mum just was a stay-at-home mum. A homemaker. Not just. Yeah, no, not just. Not just. Not just. I know. I Very get, important I job. Get that. So there wasn't. So he was a civil servant, my dad. So there wasn't any artistic bent in the family at all. But we moved to Perth when I was about three, and my older sister, who you know, Annie, yes. she she's amazing. She I don't know how she ended up getting a job at Perth Theatre, which at that point was a thriving repertory theatre that produced 12, 14 original plays a year with big casts, mm -hmm. classics, and she started off as an usherette. And then she moved into the box office, and then she started working backstage, and then she went to drama school to do stage management, and then she got a job as a stage manager. So when I was maybe eight, nine, I would get free tickets to go to matinees, and I would go and see Agatha Christie plays, or George Bernard Shaw, or musicals, or the panto. And our neighbour across the road was actually an actor as well, Martin James, who and did, was a renowned actor around Perth and Pitlochry and Dundee. And then my sister started going out with Andy Gray, the act, who was a young actor at that point, and again lived in Perth. So suddenly this kind of world, we were surrounded by this kind of theatrical world, and I just, you know, I, I loved Andy and I really looked up to him. I thought he was brilliant. And because of that, I just got into it and went to Scottish Youth Theatre and Perth Youth Theatre and worked in the theatre box office and worked backstage and... Was in a few. Sh I was in a show with Ricky Fulton, Peter Pan, and Oliver. So yeah, I just kind of from about eleven, I just thought that's what I wanted to do. And one of your biggest breaks, and what I remember you from very fondly, is Taggart. Yes. How did you land that gig? It's probably thanks to Tony Curran, who's a well-known Scottish actor who was absolutely amazing in Mayflies. Tony and I were in the same year at drama school, and Tony had done a lot of TV as a kid. He was in stuff like Stooky and he was in Taggart and he played Jardin's brother. He just did, he did lots of adverts. So he had a lot more experience. So when we were coming out of drama school, we both went up for a part in Dr. Finlay. And it was a really nice part, which STV were making. And Tony got the part. But Tony was also doing a play at night. And Tony being Tony didn't tell them <laughs> till like two days before. He went, oh, by the way, I'm doing Romeo and Juliet in Edinburgh. So I need to go at four because I need to get... And they were like, I'm sorry, this is like Annette Crosby and Ian Bannon and this is a high, big production. You need to be there till seven o'clock. There's no way. So you either do this or you drop out the play. And Tony was like, oh, I can't, I can't let anyone down. I can't let anyone. So he lost the part. And by default, I was obviously second in line. So I got the part in Dr. Finlay, which is a really lovely part. And it was a week's filming playing a painting decorator. And as a result of that, Robert Love, who was the head of drama, got to know me and that would would have been my line to get in the part in Taggart so it was thanks to Tony Brilliant. so I'm sitting in got uh, 
the south side of Glasgow and Tony's in LA. I don't know where it all went wrong. <laughs> Do you know, I love him. I mean, I love him even more for this story that you've just shared. But he's just amazing, isn't he? He's a, certainly a one-off. Yeah. And he's very charismatic as well on social media. So when it comes to like learning lines and things, I'm always fascinated because I have the utmost respect for actors because I think people who are really good at it make it look really easy. And if you've ever been on set, you know, sometimes you have to do maybe 20, 30, 40 takes of one scene, don't you? If you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> you're one take wonder. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, how do you learn the lines? Because it's not just learning the lines it's being able to relay them in the style and the tone that is fitting for that particular scene but it's also you're having to think about you know what am I doing with my hands where's my feet what's my eyeline am I you know what prop am I using how do you do it learning the lines is like the easiest part yeah like a, monkey, I bet. a monkey can learn lines <laughs> uh, so yeah it's just obviously if it's a big part it can be it can be or and also some some things are easy to learn, some aren't, and that must be down to the writing. If writers can write very colloquially, and it can be easy, mm -hmm. but sometimes writers write with double negatives or things that just sometimes it can be really hard getting the simplest thing into your head, just the way it's written. You just have to let the words soak into you, and then you can worry about all the other things. The thing about acting, certainly on screen, is you are what, as you say, worrying about hitting a mark, continuity, and then sometimes in the middle of the scene you can get self conscious and you start thinking. How do you drink? How do I? <laughs> how do I, you start? You know, how do I do that? When do I do? You know, and sometimes you can get yourself. How do you swallow? Or, do you know what I mean? If you start overthinking things, uh, I remember that quite early on. Like going, how do you drink a bottle of beer? You know, it was just like getting paranoid about being on camera. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, learning the lines is is probably the easiest part. When it comes to favourite books that have been adapted for screen, what are some of the ones that you've loved? I mean, we know that you loved Mayflies. Are there any kind of classics that you've read and you've thought, wow, that was amazing? Yeah, certainly in a Scottish context, you would say the Sunset Song, the kind of original 70s. It was BBC Scotland's kind of first big sort of network drama and they did all three of the, the trilogy over the years. But the Sunset Song, which I read at school, and then you would watch the, the BBC Scotland adaptation, which Vivian Halebrun and Paul Young, and it was, you know, brilliant actors in it, Eileen McCallum. And it's still, I think it's still on, you can get it on iPlayer. And again, it was such a beautiful novel, and it was, I think at the time also, it was it was, it was directed by Moira Armstrong, it was a female director, and obviously it's such a strong female story. So I think that was a, a beautiful adaptation. I wasn't so big a fan of the, the feature film that came out maybe five or six years ago. I don't think that was as good as the, Although the TV one is dated because mm -hmm. it's that old kind of on film and then studio, so mm -hmm. there's that. And also I think the Crow Road adaptation was absolutely fantastic. I was up, I'd actually went up for the part apprentice in that, which was like one of the jobs that I was like so desperate to get. And then the book he's described as like really geeky, ginger hair, spot, <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's, he's quite like me. <laughs> and then of course uh, I, had a, I had a couple of additions for it and then I didn't get it, so you know that's the way things are. And they ended up casting Joe McFadden, who's oh, like yeah. one of the most beautiful, handsome, gorgeous, <laughs> you know, you know, handsomest guys. Mm -hmm. And and in the book, he's meant to be like geeky compared mm -hmm. to his brother. And in the adaptation, it's Dougray Scott, and you know, you'd have to say that Joe was better looking than the handsome brother. But of course, you know, TV and things. It's but 
despite that, it's a book I absolutely adore, and I think it's a brilliant adaptation. And again, I think that's probably an eye player if you were interested in in seeing that. It's a it's a great it's a great adaptation with you know every brilliant Scottish actor apart from me. <laughs> in it. <laughs> Have you seen Crime starring Jiggery Scott, the adaptation of Everyone Welsh's book? No. Again, oh. I went I, I went up for a part in the first series, which was a really nice part, and I read the first two scripts and I thought they were really good. I didn't get the part. So, you're like, <laughs> so because of that, I went in the half. <laughs> I went in the half and haven't watched it. So uh, <laughs> I think I would like it. And, you know... I, I wasn't up for anything in the second series, but if it comes back, I would certainly obviously like to be in it. Sometimes it's a really weird thing as an actor, if you're so close to something, and certainly in Scotland, I, I don't really like watching stuff because I'm too critical. Mm -hmm. And certainly sort of crimes, because I spent 15 years in Taggart, it really is like a busman's holiday. I, I don't enjoy watching that mm -hmm. because I'm going, oh, that's a really hard scene, or how did you do that? Or, oh, that's a really tricky thing to say, or that's a, oh, that looks rubbish, or... Do you know what I mean? I just, I'm too close to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine with American drama cop stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can watch, probably get away with stuff like Happy Valley, but I, I'm not really a fan of, of stuff that's kind of close to Tiger. What you've done? Yeah. yeah. But, but I do know. think, I, I think I would like crime and I probably should watch it. But oh, so good. Yeah. Degree Scott is I knew it would be good. Phenomenal say, in it. Um, it's funny because I've not read any Irvin Welsh but I've obviously seen Trainspotting 1, 2, and I've watched Crime. But I just can't get my head around the books for some reason. Yeah. Are you the same? No, I think I was obviously there when just Trainspotting came out. So I think once you get your head into the way the colloquialism and how it's written, often written in sort of verbatim, lethal or whatever, that mm -hmm. once you get the likes in, you can hear the voices in your head. I found it easy. I was quite a vor voracious Voracious, is that the right word? Yes. Reader of Irvin Welsh, but kind of maybe after about six or seven books, I, I, I just kind of got a bit bored. I felt as if it was the same. And again, that's it's not a criticism. Mm -hmm. I just felt it was the same sort of twists and yeah. same, you know, out of context. And, and I sort of drifted away. But I should probably go back and read some of the later ones because I would imagine they probably, like most people, gets better with age. Absolutely, I absolutely loved yeah. the first sort of four or five. It's funny that, isn't it, how sometimes you can go back to a book that you maybe read 10, 20, 30 years ago and really appreciate it again. Yeah. So when it comes to reading nowadays, we already know you're a big music fan. Do you read any, like, music books? Yeah, I, I, I do. My, my books probably go a mix of music, novels, and then I don't mind a little bit of, like, a quite a quite interesting, like, sort of, like, true crimey kind of, Pathology. Valerie Dower wrote a, a great book about forensics that I really enjoyed. And then I read a book recently by a pathologist all about the different cases that he'd. It's a bit dark and sick, but I quite like them. And I, is it Richard Shepherd? I think his name is. And he's got another book out, so I'll probably read that. So yeah, music. I, I, I like music books, you know, whether it's Johnny Marr or. I read the recent uh, Billy Sloan one. Yes. Which he actually name dropped quite a few <laughs> times, which was a great, great read. I read Brett Anderson from Swede, wrote yes. a couple of kind of memoirs mm -hmm. rather than sort of autobiographies. Yeah, I do like uh, Thomas Dolby was a really good autobiography. Okay. He was a kind of 80s keyboard wizard and played with boy. And he, that was a really interesting. And then got into like tech and went to like 
America and set up like internet search engine, just a really interesting life. So yeah, yeah, I, I kind of mix between sort of dead bodies, <laughs> music and nice novels. Nice novels. When it comes to memoirs, John Niven, I know you follow him on Twitter. Have you read his book? Yeah, I've read Oh Brother. Uh, I'd read the original article, I think. I think it was in The Guardian. Yes. He'd, he'd written like a, maybe a year after his brother died and I mm -hmm. uh, found that the most like heartbreaking read. And then obviously when the book came out, I clicked that it was the same. I remembered the previous article. I absolutely loved it. I also think it's a real companion piece to Mayflies. Mm -hmm. I know that Andrew Hagen features in it and they were friends, but I think the two... They're just so so linked. The growing up with music and Ayrshire, Ayrshire and working yeah. class and and loss and male friendship and again, as I say, it's not it's probably not a particularly fashionable format. I think mm -hmm. at the moment that you know certainly in terms of like film and TV adaptations, it's not really you know white male friendship isn't isn't seem to tick the right boxes. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, it's a a world and a time and and. A thing that I can relate to and I thought oh brother was it's just you know it was obviously heartbreaking but also very funny laugh very out loud in places yeah, yeah hugely yeah. have you read John Niven's How to Kill Your Friends no I saw the film did you see the film I saw the film again I, I, I've read I, I did read I think it was The Amateurs and I, I I wasn't I didn't love that I don't know why I think it was just it was more it was I enjoyed it and I, I I got it. I just felt as if it was a bit like Irvin Welsh. Mm -hmm. It was that kind of I don't know genre. I, I don't know. I just was a bit. I I didn't I didn't love it. And again, I should probably go back and yeah. try because, as I say, I recently read Oh Brother and I absolutely loved it. I'm the same. I read Oh Brother, and then when I read Oh Brother, I discovered because I didn't. I see John Niven as as kind of before I met him and before I read Oh Brother and before he'd done a book face event. I had him kind of you know on a sort of pedestal in terms of you know intellect and you know I probably wasn't target audience so, and so then I read the book and then I discovered that you know he worked in A&R music yeah. in London in the 80s and 90s and you know two of the bands that he failed to sign up were Muse and Coldplay yeah. <laughs> so he probably wasn't that successful at the A&R no but when it comes to writing books so I thought I'm not going to read How to Kill Your Friends so I watched the film yeah but it was interesting because when he was at a book face event he basically said Yes, we did the film and moved on. <laughs> you take the money and hand it on. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I think, I think anyone as an, an author can't, doesn't get that control. Mm -hmm. And as I say, even on Mayflies, Andrew Hagen was a... I think things are changing now. Writers are becoming, getting more power. So he was an executive producer, so I suppose he would have had the say. But yeah, I think even people like Val McDermott, they hand over their, they hand over their books. And, you know, you see that... I, I was a big fan of the recent... The not the Karen Perry series, yeah, the Karen Perry series, and again, I think they did a good adaptation of that. But I really, really, it's hard. You know, it's not that thing. It's hard when you really like the books, I and it's same. hard when you have the people yeah. in your head. I'm exactly the same because I've been putting off watching Lessons in Chemistry, which is on Apple TV. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh, have Did you I read, read the, the book? book? No. Oh, have you read the book? No, I've no. not read the book. Ah, no. Right, okay, so no. as someone who hasn't read the book, did you enjoy the series? Yes. Okay, phew. Yeah. Because I love the book, yeah. so I'm kind of like, I don't know if I can watch this. It's quite slow. It, it's you know, it's 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 not thr it's not a thrilling watch, but excellent performances and nice twists and yeah, I I really enjoyed it. 
I hadn't been aware of the, the like particularly the how big the book was, mm -hmm. but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if there's one particular book that you were to give as a gift to someone, a book that you absolutely cherished, which one would it be? Do you think, and why? So can I give two? Of course. So if it was two people of my age, like friends from school or anyone you know the, of my generation who was male it would it would be mayflies and i have gifted that to quite a few people pre the adaptation because it was one of those books that i read and i'm like most people i'm on a, a whatsapp group with three or four of my friends from school who mm. you know all dis disperse amongst the world but you know you stay in touch and it was one of those books because it is such about male friendship and love of your friends and I was just like, right, boys, uh, I think you should read this book because it's like, it's good in that. It's about music in that. But, you know, obviously not saying it was about love and love. friendship. So yeah. um, I would I would share that. Another book that uh, I read when I was at drama school, which blew me away, was The Secret History by Donna Tart. Oh, I love that. And I just think it's such a wonderful, interesting, twisty, unusual, whodunit, murder, you know, highbrow set in New England mm. and I just loved the characters I remember reading it and it was one of those books pre so I think it came out in about 92 mm -hmm. pre-internet pre-social media and people would sit in the pub and talk about it mm -hmm. it really was a kind of water cooler moment mm -hmm. that people had read it and the big thing when, when I read it was you were discussing who would be in the film and who would be cast in it? Okay. Because you were going, this is definitely going to be made into a film. Mm -hmm. So you would go, it'd be John Cusack and Winona Ryder would be the <laughs> twins and Kiefer Sutherland would play Bunny. Oh, and Alan Rickman would have to be Julian and and, oh, and Bridget Fonda could be in it. And so I, that's what we were all, who would who would be in the film? And of course, the film has never, it's never, never it's, it's failed like three times to, yeah. to happen. And then I was reading about it recently and I think after The Goldfinch, which I loved as well, and I didn't mind the book, the film, but Donna Tart hated it and it yeah. was a complete flop. So the word seems to be that she might not let the secret history ever get made. I know, it's it's one I, of those things where, I mean, I loved the secret history as well. And then you have to wait another 10 years for her book, you know, because she takes 10 years in I between. I quite like that. It's like the Balloon Isle. Oh, uh -huh, you got to wait a long, long, yeah. long time. I was the same. I mean, I loved The Goldfinch and that's the book that I probably... One of the books that I've ordered the most for people, you know, sometimes you go to your basket yeah. and it's like, you've ordered this 12 times. Um, but the film of The Gold... I mean, I loved The Goldfinch and then I was kind of disappointed in the film, to yeah. be honest. I, I thought I the locations so much... were brilliant. Mm -hmm. I thought the casting was good. I thought mm -hmm. Nicole Kidman was brilliant. Yeah. It just it was cold. It just lacked... It just was... I don't know. Yeah, there was no warmth. Well, I read a review someone that said it was like, it was like someone had adapted it was like a version of the film by someone who hadn't read the book yes which i thought was quite a quite that's, a good way of that is very accurate actually uh, and that's no disrespect to whoever directed it but i quite enjoyed it but only because i really liked the book i, I didn't hate the film but i didn't love it either mm -hmm. yeah same here did okay. you go to see the goldfinch yes in edinburgh no 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 the, 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 the painting came over about Five years ago? Oh, I didn't know It was know at the that. National Portrait Gallery. Oh, no. I think it's is it in Holland or, or is... I think it is in Holland. It might not even be in New York, but they, they it was there. Wow. And you could go and see it. It's just this little picture of a goldfinch, the one on the cover. Amazing. So I went to see that like a saddle. 
Oh, no, well done. I would have gone to see it. I'm surprised you didn't. I am. It's funny because I read it on holiday. When my partner Ross and I go on holiday, I always buy the same book and we both read it. But of course... Do you not just share one? No, we... (laughs) We you both read it at the same you time. You can so hide we... your millions. <laughs> so we can talk about oh, it at no. night, but I like literally was so addicted, I couldn't put it down. So we didn't speak to each other all day. And then at night, it would be like, let's just have dinner quickly so we can get back to our books. Great. <laughs> I know there's nothing better. Certainly on holiday, it is like having that space and time to read in peace. But yeah. now I, I have to now get sunglasses that I can read with now. That's what my wife said to me. As a new, a new purveyor of glasses... On holiday, you then have to have sunglasses in your glasses. So you need to buy like cheap sunglasses that you can read with (laughs) is the trick, she says. So that'll be next summer to get my cheap reading sunglasses. So my final question, what's the book from your childhood that you've loved the most? And have you passed that on to the girls? Like, were you a fan of Spike Milligan or was it... Enid Blyton, or was it Agatha Christie with Nancy Drew? What what would it be? I do love the the book that probably was most influential to me would have been To Kill a Mockingbird, which obviously affected lots of people. How you know what a great novel it is, and it's just so moral and so good, Atticus Finch. But the book that I would probably think of that looking back was The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I remember as a wee boy, my dad reading it to me in the run up to Christmas Mm -hmm. and just finding it this fantastic, amazing story. And I then did the same to my, I think to Maisie, I think to the oldest one, I read it to her to kind of like copy what had gone on before. And I don't know, I don't think she probably loved it as much as I did because it probably generally, you know, it's probably not, uh, you know, maybe there's more distractions, but I remember loving it. And then I, a couple of years ago, I did a production of Christmas Carol and got to play Scrooge in <laughs> Lockery. So again, I went back to the original book that my dad had read and it was really nice to read that while obviously it was an adapted version of that and to have that in the rehearsal room, the little book. So yeah, Christmas Carol would be the one that I think of the most from childhood and have kind of gone full circle by getting to play Scrooge. Lovely memories. I love that. Um, and also, I suppose... With you being an actor, I bet your bedtime stories were so much fun for your kids. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they would probably beg to differ. <laughs> the Julia Donaldson's runs are certainly good for, for doing like funny accents and things. So yeah, they, they, yeah, I would try and make them more entertaining for myself probably other than the kids. That's so funny. Maybe you could go on that BBC show. What's the one that Tom Hardy does? Is it Bedtime Stories? The CBeebies one? Yeah. Well, we did a, <laughs> we did a, a CBeebies show called Wooly and Tig that Maisie and Betsy were in. And obviously it was for CBeebies. And I was just like, when am I getting on the bedtime story? <laughs> and it never happened. I never got asked to be on it. And that was like, I thought I'd about to ask me it now that I'm in a show. But no, <laughs> that's my greatest, the greatest job I never got. Colin McCready, thank you for a great chat, lovely memories and some brilliant books. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take 30 seconds to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps. New episodes drop every Thursday. Thanks so much for listening.